Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. So we're going to wrap up our series tonight on uh, fortune cookie. And if you have missed any of the previous messages or you're like, why are you talking about fortune cookies? Let me give you a quick explanation. Um, It's kind of a play on words for us. What happens in the church and what people who are Christian folks do is they take a verse or a sentence right out of the book of the Bible and um, just apply it wherever they want to kind of, and we call it being fortune cookie. Like they don't care about the context or what it was really talking about. They're just like, oh, this sentence says something that I like. I want to take it and try to apply it to some area of my life and then are confused when it doesn't work because we're not really taking the scripture for what it's actually saying. We're just picking out a sentence and being like, I want this one because I think it'll do me really good. And so the, the last five weeks, we have gone through some of the most popular scriptures that have been quote-unquote fortune cookied or taken out of context and used incorrectly. And so if you missed any of those, you can go back on uh, Facebook or YouTube at RCC Phoenix or Roots Community Church Phoenix, and um, you can catch up on those there. But we're going to go through one more today. It'll be the last one of this series, and then next week we'll move on to something else. But um, so number one in your notes, the, you probably are very familiar with this if you've been in church for longer than 10 minutes or known anybody who went to church longer than 10 minutes. They probably said something like this to number one in your notes, all things work together for good. <clears throat> all things work together for good. <clears throat> now, in our culture, we have done something that is very wildly inappropriate, and it seems kind of funny. Like, all of us know kind of like a like a super feely, like, I, back in the days, you used to call them hippie or, like, new age, new spirituality people, and they kind of run around, and they want to be one with, you know, nature and one with all the all the things that are around them. And today, what if, you know, they don't call it really nature, they they say it's the universe. I want to be one with the universe. I want to... I wanna, um, give good stuff into the universe and I'll get good stuff back from the universe as if the universe had ears, right? Like it's, it's kind of funny because when I was thinking about this, I was like, man, the universe is just a grouping of things that have been created. But in this kind of hyper spiritual kind of mystical idea in our, in our culture, people want to be away from God. They don't want to be told what to do. They want to go away from scripture because they don't want to live the, the moral guidelines it kind of gives for us as as people and as followers of Christ. And so they're like, I need to find something else that kind of does something a little similar. And so they call it the universe. I've had people tell me, you know, before, like, well, that life force, that energy, that positivity, that thing that's going through everywhere, you call it God. I call it the universe, but it's the same thing. And right there I go, eh, nope, you know, survey says, eh, right? All you Steve Harvey... Uh, what is that? Family Feud, feud. thank you. Family Feud deals. Um, so survey said on that one, and it is not an answer on the board. It's not even close to being an answer on the board. And we kind of laugh a little bit about it, you know, right? Because, oh, it's the universe. It's just some kind of person who's just trying to be, you know, flighty or new agey or whatever. But it's actually a little bit worse than we would imagine. And here's why. We have, or I say we figuratively as a culture as our Western Americanized culture, taken the things that God has made for us, which are the the, the grass, the air, uh, us. We've taken all the created things that we benefit from uh, every day of our life. And what we do is we say, okay, God, thanks for those. Now you go away and let me take it from here. 
I want to I want to take all of the created stuff, all the benefits that God gives us. I want to X him from the equation and say this appeared from nothing, or it appeared from the universe. It's a SpongeBob meme that Elijah helped me remember a couple of, a couple of weeks ago in youth. You know, and so where does this come from? It comes from our imagination right like this whole idea of the universe being a thing that can hear you and give something back to you comes from our imagination there you go participation it's awesome here in the backyard tonight um but and what that does is it breeds statements like this everything happens for a reason ever heard that before now some of you are blushing a little because you've said that before. I have too, so we're we're all in the same boat. We're all we're all sinking, you know. We're all sinners. Um, anybody else uh, ever heard or said this statement? Um, oh, it's all just going to work out how it's supposed to. Yeah. How's it supposed to work out? What did the universe say to us? Nothing. Listen. There's nothing it says because it has no ears. Has no ability to respond. It is a created thing, and we are telling the creator, or culturally, we as a, as a as a culture telling us, telling the creator, step aside, bro. I want to take this, and then calling him and the thing he created equals. There's a wild, wild amount of scripture in in the Old Testament and the New Testament where God says, "Hey, don't wind up worshiping the created thing. Worship the creator." But when we have these touchy-feely kind of things, we're like, you know, everything happens for a reason, you know, it'll all work out how it's supposed to. And it's probably because, why, we don't know what to say to someone who's struggling. Mm -hmm. And we want to be nice and kind and polite and have manners and be like, oh, yeah, it's going to work out, man. I know your car just ran off the edge of a cliff and it's blown up in a million pieces, but it's... Everything happens for a reason. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's it's trying to find something to be positive with someone. And as the culture leaves its imprint on the church, we find little things like that to say as well. And this is one of them. Oh, don't worry about it. All things will work together for good. All things are going to work together for your good. When I, I, I heard this a lot when I was a uh, a younger person, I'm still pretty young, but I'm, I, as a younger person, I heard this quite a bit, you know, when I was sick or had a family member who was sick or, you know, I had a pet die or, you know, a family member who was in the hospital or something like that. And I'd be kind of upset about it. And people, you know, don't want me to be sad. They don't want me to be down, you know, and they come to you and they want to say something kind of churchy and they pat you on the back and go, brother, everything's going to work together for good. Like my dog died. <laughs> well, it's all going to work together for good. If I kick you in the kneecap, is it going to be good? Is that going to work together for good? Because that's what I really want to do for you right now. I didn't say that out of my mouth. I said it in my head. And in the, the, as a reference to the best movie of all time, Nacho Libre, I said it in my mind. But um, if you haven't seen that movie, go and watch it. Um, but I didn't say it out loud, but that's what I was thinking. Because when you say everything's going to work together good, when I'm in the middle of a crisis or the middle of a terrible thing in my life, what, what does that leave me with? How is this going to turn out to be good? And the next line in your notes here, it says, let me find here, sorry. Uh, the scripture, um, this scripture is most often fortune cookied as a statement of wishful thinking. Wishful thinking. Or when a Christian doesn't know how to respond to someone experiencing pain. It'll all work out, man. All things work together for good. And the problem with that is it is literally half of a sentence. There's no period. There's no comma. 
There's no semicolon in the middle of that statement. It is literally half of a sentence, half of a verse in the Bible. So let's look at the entire scripture and then see what it says. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. There's three qualifiers right there, meaning that there are three things that have to happen there for everything to work out for good. Number one, you got to love God. You have to love God. Pretty, pretty cut and dry, pretty simple. You have to love God. Number two, if you are called. Now, we talked a couple of weeks ago about that verse. Many are called, but few are chosen. And if you missed that one, many are called, few are chosen is actually in reference to many are called. That word many is like a, it's been an open invitation to everyone to come to God. And the chosen ones are the ones who have, who come to Jesus. They have faith in him. And he says, I'm going to save you from eternity away from me. So, are you called? Have you responded to Christ? And then that last part, according to his purpose. Are we following his purpose? And if he makes the thing that we're going through turn good, will it accomplish his purpose? Those three things are the qualifiers. Those three things are the, you have to check those boxes on the scenario before you can go. God's going to cause everything to work out for good. Well, Matt, are you sitting here telling me that things might not work out for good if I'm not serving God, if I'm not one who submitted my life to Christ, and if it's not going to fulfill his purpose? That is exactly what I'm telling you. Well, I don't like that. Well, I don't either. I really wish it would just all work out. Everything. I wish it would all work out. Every, I wish there would not be any wasted effort or any wasted pain. I wish there would not be any of that for any person. I don't want anybody to have that. I don't want to do that. But I'm not here to crush your dream. I'm here to tell you we need to look at what the Bible really says and submit to God's word, not what we want it to say. It may not work out. It may not work out. The scenario may not work out good if we don't love God, if we have not submitted our life to Christ, and if it's not going to work for the fulfillment of his purpose. Now, it's kind of a downer. You're like, oh, man, I'm in the middle of something right now. I thought it was going to work out good. Well, it might. It might. According to how God wants to direct your life and the impact of the people around it. The other thing that um, that I, when I read this scripture, a, a question hit me, and I thought it would be uh, it would be uh, wise for us to ask ask it ourselves. And this and this question is, what is good? All things will work out together for good. God will cause all things to work together for the good of those. What is what is good? Who determines what is good? Do I determine what is good? Because that's a no. Because if I determine what is good, I would have uh, many homes, many cars, <laughs> several of them on a on a, on a ocean somewhere that I could get back and forth to. I would have a whole bunch of more stuff. I would have all these things that I always really, really wanted that thought, man, that would be a good thing for me to do. 
it would be good for me to win the lottery, but not win the lottery, but consecutively for two straight months every time it was drawn. That would be good. That would be really good. I would deem that as good, but it may not be. There may be some of you who go, man, well, I'm looking at this person that I would really like to be in a relationship. You're a single person. I would, look, I would like to be in a relationship with someone else. And, hey, look, they come to church. They go to the, you know, they read the Bible. They, you know, they try to live right. They, they, they're, they're nice and kind of makes sense that we should just get together. Kind of makes sense that that's a good thing. I mean, what's bad about that? And at that point, if you think all things are going to work together for your good, and that's where the, where, where the sentence stops, and that's where you believe that it's all going to work out for good, and your version of good, then it can become very frustrating when that relationship doesn't work out. When that girl don't want nothing to do with you. When that guy says, mm -mm, and moves on. It could be, I want that job, the promotion. I want to live in this state. I want to go to, I want to start a business in this area. Uh, those things might be good, but how do we know if they're good? It doesn't depend on us. We don't decide what's good. God has not left um, the ability to determine what is good for us long term in the hands of human beings. He hasn't. How do I know? Um, there, I'm going to tell you, there's three people that did something they thought was good that was unbelievably tragic. Little short guy, funny mustache, dictator of Germany about 100 years ago. He thought he was doing something good for his nation. He thought he was doing something good for humanity by removing the people that he looked down upon and literally slaughtering them and causing six million deaths what we refer to as the Holocaust. Six million people. He thought he was doing he thought it was a good thing. May not good for everybody else, but good for him. Good for the advancement of his nation. Good he was trying to take over other nations. He thought that was going to be a good thing to spread his power out. But that's why we can't look at a human being and go, oh, we ultimately know what is good. Mao Zedong, China, 60 million of his fellow countrymen were murdered at his hand and at his direction. 60 million, that's the conservative number. 60 million. Take the top 49, it might be 59, cities in America and have every single person drop dead in them right now at 60 million. What kind of tragedy, what kind of trauma would go through all of us if that happened? Six million people. Stalin, same thing. Killed uh, not quite as many, only 20 million of his fellow countrymen in Russia. And because these men did what they thought was good for themselves, for their country, for their benefit, for their name, for their expression of power or whatever... What happened? Last century was the bloodiest century in human history. Two world wars, a holocaust, countless smaller wars across the world. More than 100 million people were killed. That's what happens when we are left to decide what is good and we X God out of the equation. So the next line of your notes is pretty easy. Who defines what is good? God. God defines what is good. 
How do I know that? First Chronicles 16.34 Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Ezra chapter 3 verse 11 With praise and thanks they sang a song to the Lord. He is so good. His faithful love for Israel endures forever. Psalm 25 8 The Lord is good and does what is right. He shows the proper path to those who go astray. Why are you taking a, a moment here, Matt, to focus on that word is good? Because we are not inherently good. He is good. In the same way that we all know that God is love, he is good. He doesn't have this struggle between our flesh and our spirit. He doesn't, he's not from a descendant of fallen people. Who, have, who we were born into sin. He doesn't struggle back and forth with this. Do I go this way or this way? And then he just always has the, 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 the discipline and the power to choose right every time. He doesn't just do good. He is good. And because he is love and is good, everything he does is good. He defines what is good. <clears throat> when we look at this scripture and we fortune cookie it and we say all things work together for good it assumes that we know what's good and it assumes that there's always going to be a positive end to something but the gospel message that we have in America cannot only work for America it has to work for the world and if it doesn't work for the world, it is not the true gospel. It's an American gospel, and an American gospel is not the real gospel. Here's what I mean. Some of the earliest um, architectural evidence for the Christian church has been found in North Africa. We know from uh, the writings of Paul and what we have in Scripture that the, the, the areas that Rome conquered, which we would refer to today as as Italy, Greece, Turkey, the Middle East, and those areas have remnants, historical remnants of the Christian church. But there's also a very, very early archaeological find and evidence to suggest that one of the very earliest churches was in North Africa. One of those um, groups of people who met were referred to as the Coptic Christians, C-O-P-T-I-C, Coptic Christian. They referred to them as the Copts, not the Popo. C-O-P-T-S, Copts. T is a little silent there. But the Coptic Christians established their church very early on in church history. And there are still Coptic Christian descendants living in North Africa today. However, there's not nearly as many of them as there, there should be because over the last few hundred years... Islamic militants have risen to power, have risen to power in those areas and are systematically exterminating them. Now we hear stuff like that often in the news. We hear that and we go, oh, it's so sad. But let's dial it down just a little bit closer. Let's let's turn the focus a little bit closer. In twenty seventeen, more than fifty members of the Coptic Christian Church. We're in a bus driving to an event. Minding their own business. They're believers, fellow fellowshipping like we would be here tonight if we all got in a bus and went somewhere. 
and next to them pulled up a large automobile that had a whole bunch of Islamic militants in it, and they began to open fire and shower that bus that was carrying those Christians, our brothers and sisters in Christ, with bullets until um, until they ran off the road. Wasn't a bunch of old guys in the in the bus. There were men, women, and children. Twenty-six. Twenty-six of our brothers and sisters in Christ died that day on that bus. Twenty-eight of them were taken to a hospital and treated for wounds, wound surgery to save their life, to repair organs that were ripped apart and damaged by the bullets that flew through that bus and into and through them. A few months later, members of the church, about, uh, I think it was 10 of them, 8 to 10 of them, were kidnapped by Islamic militants and dragged out to a beach and videotaped, put on the internet, um, a challenge to them. Renounce Christ. I'm going to behead you alive, one by one. Didn't kill them and then chop their head off after they're dead. No, they did it while they were alive. And every single one of them held their ground, held their faith. And the Islamic militants proceeded and beheaded every single Do you think looking at the families who've been impacted by those events and going, all things work together for good, you think that really applies to them? Do you think that fortune cookied pie in the sky, oh, it's going to be okay, brother, it's going to be okay, sister, you think that worked as they took the head of their father, their brother, and his body and buried him somewhere? Do we think that, oh, uh, it, it can just, uh, because we walk around here and say that quite a bit. But if it doesn't work there, my friends, it doesn't work here. Why? It's not the gospel. We have to take the whole gospel, everything about it, and apply that message to the world and to us. And if what we believe, if our theology, what our understanding of God, if it doesn't apply in Zimbabwe, Costa Rica, New Zealand, Australia, Russia, and Idaho, then it's not the real gospel. Why? Because the gospel works for everyone. Next time you know here. If our gospel only works for all our culture and not the entire world, it is not the true gospel. And the next line, life situations may not work out in a way that we interpret as good. Next line, what if God deems that suffering is good for us to accomplish? Well, I don't, I don't like this, Matt. 
I don't like the fact that I just wanted to work out. Like everything happens for a reason, right? Every cause has an effect. Yeah. But I want it to work out for good. Who's good? Because submitting to God means that if he wants to put me wounded, hurting, frustrated on the side and run my entire family through a, through a seven-year period of time where we had to unlearn the things that I learned that were incorrectly so he could find it fitting to use us again by his grace. I guarantee you that in the middle of that seven-year stretch, I did not think that was good. I thought it was torture. But on the other end of it, I never would have trusted what had come out of my mouth here had he not done that to me there. What if he determines that suffering is good? Now, let me pause here for a second and say, I don't want to glorify suffering. I don't want to, because suffering in and of itself is not some holy act. It doesn't say, like, when you worship, lift your hands, you know, make a joyful those to the Lord and suffer. No, it doesn't say that. I don't want to worship suffering. I don't want to pursue suffering as if we need to suffer to prove all this stuff to God. No, you can't prove anything to God. We're saved by his grace, not by our discipline and our actions and our and our good deeds outweighing our bad. No, that's not how this works. But Paul gives some instruction to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. And here's what he says. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes and to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myth, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry that God has given to you. Now, this, um, what, 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 Paul talked about has been seen across history many times, but we are definitely seeing what he said take place in our culture and our nation today. Because if you don't like what the word of God says, you can go find someone who calls himself a minister, a pastor, a preacher, a spiritual teacher, or whatever, who will tell you, oh, that's not what that means, and twist it in a way to allow you to live an immoral life and then still feel like, oh, I'm still a Christian. That is wildly popular today. You can find anybody to tell you anything's good. You really can. But I heard a guy this week say something that kind of stung me a little bit, so I'll share it with you because it stung me. And because it was me. He's like, if you're someone who has been involved in a church or a ministry or something like that, and you were hurt by the pastor or the deacon or the worship leader, somebody who worked there or somebody who went there, um, if you were hurt by them, 
I'm very sorry, they're wrong, but would that have happened if you yourself were reading God's Word? And my first reaction was, bro, bump that, get away from me, because I had nothing to do with that. They did this and this and this, in the middle of me justifying out loud, that's, that can't be true. I stopped and went, if I'm honest, I took their word for a whole bunch of stuff that I never went read on my own. See, when you get to heaven, you're going to stand before God and he's going to go, hey, did you live the way I told you to live? And you're going to go, oh, well, that guy said it was okay for me to do these things. Right, he liked and you didn't do it. There's going to be his own punishment for this guy right here who lied, but is there faith in Christ in you? Well, I heard that all of the paths lead to God. I just had to have faith and not just in a particular thing. I just had to have that. Nope. It's going to be wildly disappointing. That's why one of the foundations we have been harping on for Roots Community Church and why we're in the middle of this series is we have to know God's word. Not what we want it to say, not what we hoped it says, not what we wished it would say, but the truth of what it actually says. Because then it can correct us. Then it can, it, it can expose what's going on inside of us. At that point, it can do its real work. It can't take the peace we like and slap it on the business I'm about to start and be like, it's going to work. Because I want it to. It may not. And when we tell other people, all things work together for good, man. Just trust in God. And all things work together for good. He'll work it out for you. Without telling them the full context of what God is trying to say. And they believe it. And it doesn't work. Guess what happens? Their faith in him begins to dwindle. And we don't encourage people to the gospel. We discourage them away from it. Because it didn't work like we said it would. We don't know why it didn't work, because we didn't read the whole thing. We're just going to run out there and keep just telling people. I just want to inject you with godly positivity. <sighs> okay. Does that work, or does the gospel message work? The gospel works. <clears throat> we spent a, a lot of time in the last six weeks going over this stuff um, because of that. And, you know, there's moments when you're in the middle of something. I don't know if you're like this, but I am. Where I'll be in the middle of something, I'm fully committed, and then all of a sudden you have that little nagging thing in the back of your head or in the back of your heart where you're like, maybe everybody doesn't have this problem. Maybe it's just me. I go over here preaching this because I feel like this is what the Lord directed us to go do, and I felt the Spirit of God led me down this direction and prepping for it for a long time, but is there a chance that it's just me? Like everybody else has got this, and they're just looking at me funny going, no one thinks that, bro. It's just you. And then I ran across two studies that um, unfortunately validated that it wasn't just me. I put them in your notes so you can actually go home and search these search these things if you want to read them for yourself. Because I only have time to put a few excerpts in here. But <clears throat> um, just a few weeks ago, on October 21st, the Christian Post posted this article. Nearly 70% of born-again Christians say other religions can lead you to heaven. 70%. Let me read just a couple lines of this to you. 
The survey, which looked at religious beliefs and attitudes towards cultural behaviors, polled 3,106 Americans ages 18 to 55 from all religious groups, including 717 respondents who identified as born-again Christians. He talks about, you know, a born-again Christian, someone who has faith in Christ, still a relationship with him today, and, and because of that faith, we go to heaven. Let's go to this, the, the, the next uh, paragraph here. The survey found that among the top reasons given by born-again Christians for not telling others about their faith is the acceptance of pluralism. Many paths and many gods can lead to heaven. When asked why they don't share their beliefs with others, born-again respondents chose they can get to heaven through different religious belief, which is not in the Bible. We shouldn't impose our ideas on others, which is not in the Bible. And the Bible tells us not to judge others, which is one of the fortune cookie scriptures that we actually went through a couple weeks ago. Those are the top three reasons that people said they don't tell others about Christ, and none of them are biblical. The American Worldview Inventory published the culture. Um, it was published by the Cultural Research Center of Arizona Christian University, which is like 15 minutes down the road here in Glendale. Of the estimated 176 million American adults who identify as Christian, just six percent, or 15 million of them, actually found were found to hold a biblical worldview. The study showed in general that while the majority of America's self-identified Christians, including many who call themselves evangelical, believe that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and is the creator of the universe, more than half of them reject a number of biblical teachings and principles, including the existence of the Holy Spirit. Strong majorities were also found to errantly, like an error, believe that all religious faiths are of equal value, people are basically good and that they can use acts of goodness to earn their way into heaven. The study further showed that the majorities don't believe in moral absolutes, consider feelings, experiences, or the input of friends and family as their most trusted sources of moral guidance, and they say that having faith matters more than which faith you pursue. This has been one of the greatest con jobs by the enemy on our nation. Because we have According to this, 176 million people going out there calling themselves Christians, and more than half of those people say, oh yeah, you can worship Buddha, or Krishna, or be Hindu, and fall under any of their three gods or 300 million deities. Just have faith, man. It's all going to work out. Everything happens for a reason. It's all going to work out in the end. There's 6% of us who still look and go, that's not what the Bible says. And those people have been taught fortune cookie versions of the Bible. I have been taught fortune cookie versions of the Bible. Next on your notes. Another devastating aspect of the fortune cookie scriptures is it disfigures the truth. It disfigures the truth. Paul refers to the word of God as the sword of the spirit. Next on your notes. And he does that in Ephesians 6. We're not going to read it tonight just because of time, but you can go and read it yourself. He calls it the, the, the word of God is the sword of the spirit. 
Next line. When we bend scripture to the liking of our flesh and culture, it weakens the message of the gospel. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says about God's word. He uses a similar analogy of the sword. Ready? Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Matt, the word of God is going to cut my joints and marrow? No, it's a metaphor to say it's going to pierce to the deepest part of you. It can separate your real intent from the lying intent that we lie to ourselves and other people of why we do things. It knows the real intent. I've said this quite a, quite a few times here, but I'm going to say it again tonight. You don't read the Bible. The Bible reads you. Why? Because it is the picture of Christ and the standard by which we're supposed to be living. And when we read it and compare ourselves to where Jesus has given us direction and commands to follow... We no longer want to compare myself to the guy down the street. Like, oh, I'm doing better than that guy. That lady's jacked up. At least I ain't that bad. No, the comparison is no longer to mankind. It is to God himself and the standard he's poured out in his word. I tried to get a sword here, like a real one, uh, to have in front of you today, but Amazon. <laughs> Who knew you couldn't get a sword in 24 hours? You had to wait three days. <laughs> First world problem for sure. Right, right. Um, but I, I wanted to have that sword here and show you, like, this is the powerful word of God. And then when we fortune cookie it, we take that sword, we break the tip off, we bend it around, we twist it, and then we hold that thing up and people are going to go, does that work? Does that thing still chop down the disbelief and the and get down to the core of where I am when it's not sharp and twisted and pieces are missing off of them and it's bent off to the left and it just looks kind of funny. Does that thing still work? No, it doesn't. But that's what happens when we fortune cookie the gospel. Instead of using it as something to pierce down to us that would show us our intent show us what the truth of, uh, is really going on in our heart what truth that is if it's the truth or our truth instead of doing that what the disfigured gospel does is it approves of the immorality it approves of the living incorrectly and it gives a covering for us to continue doing it. It never pains us and it never hurts. It only makes us feel good and says you just go do whatever you love because love is love and God wants you to love the love of the love. That's not what the Bible says, my friends. And there's some times where I wish, man, God, can I, can I have one of them like Woohoo! Like organ screeching, like jumping around, messages like, Wee, yeah, yeah, you know, throw it up, you know, raise the roof for Jesus, you know, give me a J, J, you know. Um, uh, it's a continuous thing, forget it, sorry. Um, um, I love you guys if you're watching. <laughs> um, but a fortune cookie gospel, next on your notes, is a disfigured gospel and no longer cuts to the deepest part of our soul and fails to expose our selfish desires. The disfigured gospel tells others they can earn 
entrance into heaven. It forsakes truth for comfort and ignores the fact that salvation is through faith in Jesus alone. A fortune cookie gospel is untrue, incomplete, dangerous, powerless, intimidated, impotent, and ineffective. In short, and this is what the series is going to summarize in this one statement, a fortune cookie gospel is not the gospel. It's just not. If we can take the eternal word of God and twist it into something that works for me every single time, never never tells me I'll experience pain, suffering, that he'll give me a way out of it, that it's always going to work out for good, and it doesn't mean that, you know, and I don't need to have my life submitted to Christ to love God and, and realize it's going to work out for his purpose. If I just take that last part off because that's not any fun, I just want that first part, then guess what? We have believed a lie. And I don't know about you, but going through these things and, and, and figuring out what they were and, and, and what they what these fortune cookie scriptures were before when in my study, for me, it's been wildly fun. It's been kind of embarrassing at times because I've preached some, if not all, of these fortune cookie scriptures early in, early in my ministry days. I believed them for a long time and was confused and they didn't work and people said it's because I didn't have enough faith. I didn't believe hard enough. I didn't pray hard enough. I just had to pray harder for the word of God to work. That doesn't make any sense. It works. It's the truth. Or it's not. The entire point of this series is to shine a light on some things that all of us may have incorrectly believed. And to shine the light on what the truth is. And then say, now we have to adjust. Because I guarantee you can leave here and in five minutes or less on the way home you can find somebody who has a title of, of some ministry title somewhere who will tell you no brother it's always going to work out for good and make you feel good I guarantee you'll be able to find it I can actually take you some of them I listen to some of them for a long time and the reason I'm not naming names and of people or ministries or churches or pastors and well, avoid these guys because that's not the, that's not the goal. My goal is not to fight in house. The goal is to arm us, equip us with the truth, so that we can go out and we can win a dying world. We can be light to a dark place. We can take the gospel, the true, absolute gospel without fear or hesitancy because we know what it really says. We're going to go and take the real gospel to people and watch it change their life. That's the goal. Wouldn't it be fun if we just put a name, a list of names up here and was like, listen, don't listen to this guy. And everybody's like, oh, I hate that guy anyway. Don't go to this church. I always hated that church. You know, I'll go to this. Don't go to this place. I went there. You're exactly right. You know, run by and throw rocks at the sign when you drive home or whatever. I'm, I'm, there's no point in any of that. It might be a little fun for a moment, but it's, there's no point in any of that, right? It's still fun. Um, there's no point in any of that. Why? Because now that you know the truth, this is the risk and the little bit of hesitation that I have sometimes preaching messages like this. I get over it, but there's a little bit in me that goes, 
because now you're responsible. I'm responsible to tell you the truth of what his word says. I got to stand before God and make sure that what I gave you to the best of my of my utmost ability was the pure, unadulterated word of God. But there's a responsibility on your end now that you've been equipped with it. What are you going to do with it? And that's not from a pastor who's trying to, let's get up here and every, everybody who brought one person next week, we couldn't even fit in the backyard or something. You know, I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is you having a correct view of Scripture. What it says, submitting your life to it, and then taking that pure, infallible, uncompromising, 100% true word of God and the gospel to the people that need it. Because whatever the avenue of your purpose is going to be, the end result is that. Reaching people or training others to go reach them. That's what it boils down to. Well, I thought I was going to be a father to raise my family. You are. It's your job to get your kids to heaven, not Harvard. They go to Harvard, great. Don't send them there with a dim light. Wherever you go, do not go with a dim light. Go with the full word of God, completely exposing you and your sin and the grace of the God who forgives that sin. That's what we're supposed to be.